theme over the next uh, several months called Unordinary, where we're looking at um, trying to live the unordinary life or living the un upside down life is what we've been calling it. Uh, flipping culture on top of itself and trying to live countercultural. Uh, we wrapped up um, one section of that in January. We're starting a new section of this um, today called Unordinary Families, where we're really emphasizing the importance of reclaiming our families and what that means. And so this morning I'm going to be talking to you about um, the role of parenting. And I realize, okay, that many of you here are not parents. That does not mean that this is not a relevant word for you. Um, for example, you may not be parents yet, but you may be a parent one day. Let's suppose, though, that it is not God's will for you to ever become a parent. This sermon's still important to you because, you know what? You have friends who are parents. And God may use you to speak the truth into their life and how you can encourage them. So... Don't tune out on me if you're not a parent. Uh, this, this sermon that I've um, worked on this week has been challenging to me as a father. And, uh, and I think that as you hear it, um, I hope and pray that it will push you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, just this week I had went to uh, Barnes & Noble, which is probably my favorite store, um, and picked up a copy of The New Yorker. Does anybody in here read The New Yorker besides, okay, Josh, us nerds? Um, I picked this up because there was an interesting article in there about Jared Kushner. Y'all know who he is, right? Yeah, it's Donald Trump's son-in-law. Okay, And he's real big in our country right now because he has a lot of international relations. And it was talking about how, um, how China is trying to manipulate him to do what they want. And so I was reading all about that. Well, I flip over, and lo and behold, there is an article about parenting in the New Yorker. Okay, And I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. What is it going to say? And it talks about the top books that are being sold right now on parenting. Believe it or not, huge amounts of books are being published on the German model, model of parenting. Okay, but Some of you never even knew that that Germany has their own model for how you're supposed to parent. They also are selling books about the French model of parenting. And then they have all of these other countries that they're talking about. But it got me to wonder, you know, what type of model am I using as a parent? And where do I go for help when I'm looking at how to be the parent that I'm supposed to be? Because, let's be honest, okay, all of us want to be great parents. I don't think anybody really has in their mind whenever their child is born of, man, I just want to be the worst parent I could possibly be, you know? Um, our kids may feel that we think that way at times, but that's never our intention, okay? We want to be the best. So where do we go for help? And obviously, as Christians, the first place we should look is in scripture, right? How does scripture and what does scripture say about how we are supposed to be a godly parent? Well, let me share with you several passages of scripture.
that tell us what we're supposed to do. Okay? I'm going to start in the New Testament, and then I'm going to end in, in, in the Old Testament. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, and men, this is for you. Are you ready, men? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Okay? Boy, isn't that a good nugget of truth? Sometimes I may get on to my kids and then want to play sports and, I, and I'm a little bit too hard on them and it can discourage them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Amen, right? Any of y'all like discipline? But it's painful. And then it says, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. My parents used to make me go into the backyard and pick a hick hickory switch. Y'all know what those are? You remember that? I made a promise when I was a kid that I would never do that to my kids. And I have upheld that. I beat them with other things. <laughs> but not with... <laughs> But listen to the words that scripture says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it does produce righteousness later on. I want to switch to the Old Testament. This gives us a great model for what and how we should parent. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. It says, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. That's talking to parents here. These commandments are supposed to be on our hearts. We're supposed to be able to live them out before our kids. It says, impress them on your child. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me tell you something. That, that passage is convicting because... I fall short in all of those areas. Basically what, what it is teaching us is, as parents is that everywhere that our child looks, they should be getting God's Word, either through the way we live, through the things that are on our, on our walls. They can see Scripture on the walls. Um, they're constantly hearing us talk about it with them and encouraging them to walk in God's way. Um, and this is a 24-7 model of training them in righteousness. You never stop teaching them about what God's Word is telling them. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. One of the things I'm constantly reminded of is that there's going to be a day when my kids are going to have to care for me just as I have cared for them. Our prayer as parents is that it'll be a blessing for them to care for us is just like it is a blessing for us to care for them. Proverbs 22, verse 6. And this is probably the most well-known verse for, for many parents, which is train up a child in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. But this has got me thinking. Okay, 
how are we supposed to train them? You know? I mean, let me be a coach. Okay? Let me, let me coach basketball. I can train athletes to play basketball. Let me, let me be a baseball coach. I know what to do to train guys and girls to play baseball or softball. I mean, I know what to do with that. But how do you train a child in the way that they should go? My, I, I would constantly, growing up, I would tell my parents of all the times they messed up as parents. You know, when you're a teenager and, you, and your parents do something and you look at them and say, you're doing it all wrong. And my mom would constantly tell me, Matt, you did not come with an instruction manual. You know? And she, and she was honest at times. She said, you're right, I messed up here. Okay? But the majority of times she was like, no, you messed up, Matt. But she did. She constantly would share with me, you didn't come with an instruction manual. And I think that that's what we struggle with as parents is, how do you know really how to train a child in the way they should go? I mean, our instruction manual, I mean, this may be a little cliche, but our instruction manual is Scripture, right? But when you look at the life of Jesus, you really don't see... I mean, Jesus didn't have children, did He? He wasn't married and didn't have kids. So you, you really... The, 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 the main thing, people, when they look at Jesus, they say, well, I can't really look at Jesus' model for how to be a parent. And I step back and say, wait a minute. Yeah, you can look at the model of Jesus. While he didn't have his own children by blood, he certainly had disciples and he trained disciples in how they should live and, and go, didn't he? And I think that when we look at the life of Jesus, we're given a pretty good model of how we are to train our children just as Christ trained his disciples. And that's what I want to share with you this morning is a model that Jesus used. This is just one particular instant. And Jesus used several models, but we're going to hone in on one because it's the one that I think is most relevant for today and probably the hardest for us as parents to practice and to live out. Before I read this, I need to give you a little bit of background about this passage, okay? Right before this passage takes place, Jesus does a miracle that many of you are familiar with, but just in case you're not familiar with this miracle, let me explain. Jesus is out teaching. And as he is teaching, it suddenly becomes pretty late in the evening. And the people that were listening to him had not eaten. So Jesus tells the disciples to go and get some food for them to eat. And they go and they search. And let me test your biblical knowledge. Okay, what did they find when they went out to search? What? Five loaves and what? Two fish. Five loaves and two fish. Now, there were a lot of people there. How many people were at this event where they were listening to Jesus teach? At least 5,000, right? Okay, we've got 5,000 men and you've got women and children as well. And so Jesus does this awesome miracle where he feeds over 5,000 people with how, much, how many loaves of bread? Five. And how many fish? Two. 
And this miracle is so big that when the disciples get done, they go around and they pick up baskets full. How many baskets did they come back with? Twelve baskets full, okay? Now here's the problem. They just saw this great miracle, and they didn't understand what happened. And we're going to learn in just a minute why they did not understand what was happening. So follow with me in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately, okay, so right after they pick up the 12 basketfuls, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was on the land. He saw them being battered as they rode because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea and wanting to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. And then listen to this last part. Instead, their hearts were what? Hardened. Their hearts were hardened. So here's what I want to draw your attention to. Okay? This is what I'm calling resistance ministry. And you really have to understand the context of what's happening here. You'll notice in this passage of Scripture that um, <clears throat> Jesus had directed his disciples to go out on their own. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But it says he went up on the mountain to pray. After he gets done praying, he's, he's down kind of on the beach area. And it says in the evening he could look out and he could see his disciples struggling. Okay? They, were re, they were fighting against the resistance of the wind. And they were struggling and they weren't going anywhere. And they kept going and trying and trying and trying. And then it says a little later in the night at 3 a.m., Okay. Some of your translations will not say the exact 3 a.m. Others will. But it says later in the night, Jesus decides to go out to them. <laughs> now let's just pretend for a moment that you have Jesus watching the disciples from 6 p.m. to 3 a.m., watching them struggle. Those of you who are math geniuses, how many hours did Jesus sit there and watch his disciples struggle? Nine hours. Okay? As they're just going through the resistance and fighting. Nine hours. Can you imagine as a parent training your child 
you see them struggling over something. How, what is the, let's just say this, what is the maximum, I mean the maximum amount of time that you would allow your child to struggle through something before you would jump in and help? Let me hear your numbers. Let me hear your numbers, come on. One minute, one hour. Any others? 15 minutes. Imagine going nine hours. Okay? Listen, when my kids could not sleep at night and I wanted to practice resistance ministry, y'all know what I mean by this? You know when they want to go and get into the bed with you? They're really young. You remember those days? They're extremely young and they cry and they yell and they want to just come in there. And what are we so quick to do? Especially when, they're, especially when they're about nine months old. What are we quick to do? We're quick to run in there, pick them up and console them, and then let them get into bed. And we do not practice the resistance ministry. We have a joke at our house. Natalie will come in to our bedroom every night before she goes to bed. And she says, I want to give you a nine-hour hug. Every night. And what is she saying? I want to sleep with you. And you know what I say? Go to bed. <laughs> Get in your bed. You know, it's kind of our joke every night, you know. Um, resistance ministry. We are so quick to jump in when our kids are struggling through something. We're quick to jump in and try to help them. You know what they call that nowadays? Helicopter parents. Have you heard of that term before? Helicopter parents. And you know who practices the helicopter parenting model the most? Those who say they don't practice it. They're always the ones who are always watching constantly over their kids. Okay, Helicopter parenting, in case you don't know what that is, is parents who are always hovering over their kids. Constantly hovering over them. Now here's what we see with Jesus. We see him watching his disciples from the land, and they're struggling, but he wasn't hovering over them. But he was watching them, and he didn't even jump out 15 minutes into their struggle and say, let me go help them through this. He didn't jump in 30 minutes or an hour. He waited nine hours of letting them wrestle through what they were trying to go through before he went out. And let me tell you what Jesus' intention was when he started walking out on the sea. Okay? His intention was to pass by them. Did you notice that? He wasn't going to help them at all. So as he's walking out, it says his intention was to walk and pass by them. But instead, they were terrified. They were humbled. God says, it is I. And he says he got into the boat with them. It's at that point, when he gets into the boat with them, that Jesus performs another miracle where he calms the sea. And the question is, is why did Jesus decide to train his disciples like this? That's a serious question I think that we often overlook. Why would Jesus even do that? Why did Jesus think that it was necessary for them to have to fight through something very difficult? And the answer to that is found in verse 52. Notice what verse 52 says. 
It says, instead, their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. This is why Jesus was teaching them a lesson. Basically, they didn't understand anything that Jesus had just done. And there may have even been some of the disciples in there that thought, hey, you know what? We can do this stuff on our own. And so you know what Jesus does? He directs them and says, okay, you go out on the sea and you go and you handle it by yourself. So they go out and they fight and they struggle for nine hours by themselves. You get, you get the picture here? They're struggling. They're, re, they're fighting against the resistance and they continue and continue and continue. And people sit back and they say, why did Jesus wait so long? Because it took nine hours for their hearts to get softened. That's why. Jesus saw that the disciples had a serious need that needed to be addressed. Their serious need was their hardened heart. By the way, sometimes when you and I are in struggles and we say, where is God at in my struggle and what I'm going through? Maybe you need to remind yourself that maybe God's letting you go through the resistance because your heart is hardened and he's trying to soften it and teach you something. Again, doesn't a father discipline the child that he loves? Isn't that what Scripture teaches us? So many times, maybe God's just trying to soften our hardened hearts. But this is what we see happening with Jesus. He saw that his disciples had a need, and he used this moment to train them in the way that they should go. Let me share with you just five quick things about this model that Jesus does. You can write these down if you want. But this was Jesus' approach to training the disciples in this situation. And I think it applies very much to us as parents and as Christians. Number one is this. Jesus directed the disciples to, the, uh, to cross the Sea of Galilee on their own. Notice that Jesus directed them. He told them where to go. He was leading them into a time of resistance. He knew what he was leading them into. But he directed them, okay? And he let them go in that direction on their own. On their own. He didn't do it for them. Okay? He let them take it on themselves. Secondly, what does Jesus do? While he sends them out, he goes somewhere, and what does he begin to do? He begins to pray. Wouldn't you love to know what he was praying about then? My guess is he was praying, Lord, please help this be a transformational moment for these disciples because their hearts are hardened. Help to soften their hearts. So he's up there praying for them. Number three, he observed their struggle from afar. He didn't hover over them, but he was close enough to observe. Okay? But he didn't intervene yet. He watches from afar. Number four, he allowed the struggle to continue for a long amount of time 
before he eventually intervened. I may have shared this story with you before, but uh, a friend of mine when I was in Forest City um, had a major transformation in his life. Um, he was a part of some pretty, pretty bad, serious things. The Lord transformed his life, and his son still had not had that transformation yet. And his son was constantly being placed into prison. And my friend Marshall would go. Every time his son was placed in prison, he would go and he'd get him out of prison. And he had been, this had happened maybe three, four, five times. He would go as soon as his son gets arrested and bail him out. Finally, when he was driving one day, the Lord just stopped him and said, no, you don't get him out anymore. I'm trying to speak to your son. And you come to his rescue every time instead of letting him depend upon me to get him out of this situation he's in. And I think that that's what we often do as parents. We intervene where God's wanting to intervene before we let God have his place. And then fifth, at the appropriate time, Jesus got into the boat with them. But it was at the appropriate time. So here's what I want to share with you as parents. For those of you that have uh, even if you're not a parent, but you have friends that are parents and they're struggling through what to do with their kids, let me share with you some biblical things here that we learned from this story that I think we can all practice. Number one, you need to know that as parents, you are called to lead and direct your children. That's your calling, first and foremost. Okay, Just as Jesus led his disciples in the direction they should go, it is your responsibility to lead and direct your children. I think we could all do better in that area. Um, I was reading just recently, one of my friends was practicing catechesis with some of his children. For those of you that don't know what catechesis is, you need to look it up. But it is a training method, okay? But they are every night they're doing that. They practice Lent together, okay? Um, they have devotions together every single day. That's something I think that we could all practice and get better at. Secondly, prayer should be an obsession for parents. If you see your kids struggling, you need to be praying for them. If you see your kids on the mountaintop, you need to be praying for them. You need to be in prayer for their future spouses. You need to be in prayer for the schools that they go to. You need to be in prayer for your youth pastor and your children's pastor who are ministering to them every week. You need to be in prayer for your spouse and yourself as you minister to your kids. I mean, prayer should be an obsession for you as a parent. Third, you should intentionally teach your children. This goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, where the parent is to teach their child even when they're walking. Okay? Even when they're walking. So one of the things that we do as parents, and we're nowhere near the perfect parents, by the way, but one thing that we do is, even after a game, okay, Whenever our girls have a volleyball game, we will talk to them 
Number one, about their attitudes during the game. Was it Christ-like? Number two, how did they encourage their teammates? And how were they a part of the team? And we use that as a chance to shape them with what the gospel teaches us. There's teachable moments all around us. Okay? And we should be intentionally teaching them not only with content, but also with experience. One of the things you can do, folks, is teach your kids by allowing them to go with you when you're doing ministry opportunities. Let them see what it's like to partner with God in doing ministry. Let them do ministry with you. Number four, parents must practice resistance. This is where it gets really hard. Practice resistance. Resist jumping in and saving your kids from difficult situations they're facing. Okay? Listen. Sometimes our kids will come home and they'll say, so-and-so said this about me. This hurt my feelings. I had a hard time at school. This hurt my feelings. The teacher said this. The teacher didn't do this. I didn't like my coaches. I didn't like the refs during the game. Listen, folks, okay? Let them experience the resistance. Let them know that, you know what? Hey, life doesn't always go the way it's supposed to go. And you know what you're called to do as a Christian? Rise above it. Life's not always fair, okay? But you are a Christ follower, and you rise above that, and you live the fair life and the holy life that God's called you to live. Let them resist through it. Don't, don't pull them out of that, okay? Don't pull them out of that. Let it build their character, okay? Allow your kids to push through the resistance, even for long amounts of time. If it takes them a long amount of time to soften their heart, then be obedient to God and let God mold and soften that heart for as long as it takes. And then the fifth thing, which takes wisdom. This is why you have to be a person that's obsessed with prayer. You have to know and ask God for wisdom of when you should get in the boat with the disciples. In this case, you have to pray and say, okay, God, they've resisted for this long, is it time for me to get in the boat with my kids and to help them to the other side of the shore? Not too early, not too late, but at just the right time. And God will reveal that time into you as you pray and you're sensitive to His Spirit. He'll let you know when the right time is to step in and to help your kids. I'm going to ask the praise band to come up. They're going to sing a song that we sang just a few moments ago. Um, as they sing this song, I want you to pay attention to the words. Because it talks about, Lord, open up my eyes and help me to love those around me. Okay? You remember that song we sang just a few moments ago? And so we're going to close with that song. And may this not be just a song that we sing. May this be the beginning of our obsession of prayer where we pray, God, open up my eyes so I can be the parent, the God parent, the co-worker, whatever it may be, 
Help me to be the person that you call me to be. Open up my eyes so that I can see the love and have love 